G'day and welcome to the 17X podcast series. My name is Mick Hayes. Thanks for tuning in. I have the absolute pleasure of chatting with entrepreneurs, visionaries, and absolute change makers on how they're using their business as a force for good in the world. We align these conversations with the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, the UN's global goals for the 2030 agenda that we simply must achieve. And it's my firm belief that our business community is our best shot at success. If you're inspired by these conversations, you'll absolutely love our 17X speaking events that tour Australian cities. Jump over to our website, 17sdg.com, that's 17 the word, to find out when our events are coming to a city near you. But for now, sit back and enjoy the show, and don't forget to subscribe where you are listening to stay up to date with our future episodes. Hey, Tim, welcome to the 17X podcast, mate. Good to have you here. Thank you for having me. Um, I always like to start with just a little bit of a recap on your origin story. If you can let our listeners know, uh, you know, two to three minutes, short and sharp, uh, you know, where have you been in your career and what brought you through to where you are now? Yes, I started out as a music journalist, of all things. Um, I watched the movie Almost Famous, Ah, where that kid goes on tour with rock band. Yeah. And I, I was about 18 or 19 and I was like, I want to do that. So I emailed the editor at Rolling Stone um, and basically harassed her into giving me a, um, some review, some albums to review. Um, And she gave me a couple of albums to review and I was heavily into dance music at the time, electronic music and Rolling Stone Australia in particular didn't cover much electronic music. So I, um, she gave me like a 50 word um, review to do. And I did that and that turned into a hundred word review. And then it turned into 500 words and before I knew it I was doing feature stories kind of covering a lot of um, particularly electronic music in Australia and I was about 20, 21 at the time. Um, so from there I realised oh, I really love um, writing. It's something that, that's, that's quite interesting to me. At the same time I was putting on some events in the um, LGBT space. Um, I came out as gay when I was 19 or 20 and started putting on events because there was nowhere to go out that I wanted to go out kind of similar to a bit of your story with, with 17 where you put on your own events to fulfill your own need and you realise that other people also have that need. Yeah. Um, then when I was about 23, um, I co-founded a website that kind of brought those two things together. So brought together my journalism side and I love writing and building communities and it brought together the LGBT community. So I started a website called Same Same in 2006 or 2005 with a bunch of friends. Um, and then before we knew it, that kind of turned into a little media um, mini empire. We ended up um, rebranding the the company a couple of times. We launched a publication called Junkie in 2013, um, which um, went on to kind of eat the entire company. We rebranded the whole company as Junkie Media a couple of years later. And then by the end of it, by the time I ended up selling that company in 2016, we had about 60 or 70 full-time staff. Um, So it was a pretty big, small company, a big medium-sized company. Um, and I finished up at Junkie Media, therefore, um, which turned into a publication for Australian millennials. Um, that was what Junkie kind of primarily is, um, and finished up there in 2020 and also published my first book called Cult Status, which is all about how to build a business that people adore, um, which is kind of a, a bit of the interest that I've had over the years in, okay, how there's this whole new generation of people coming through who are kind of thinking a little bit differently about business. And it's something that I observed both at Junkie when I was doing research in the audience and then outside of that, 
Um, and ever since then, I've been fascinated by um, these sorts of businesses. Um, and now I consult. So I've got my second book coming out in 2022. Um, and just choosing to do things that I want to do with people and companies that I think are doing good things. That's awesome. Um, I love the way you start that. You, you watched that movie and went, right, I want to go do that. I'm just trying to remember that. Um, is it rock stars have kidnapped my son? <laughs> this is yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. <laughs> so good. Oh, God, it's an amazing movie. I rewatched it recently. It was Cameron Crowe made the movie, um, and it was kind of a bit about his life. I think he used to actually write for Rolling Stone. Um, it's such a good movie. movie. Kate Hudson um, plays yeah. the, oh, one of the leads. So and, yeah, great movie. I think uh, I think nearly everyone that watched that either went, I want to go do that too, or I want to play music around the world. But no, I love it. Um, that's such a cool story. I think um, what is it for you? Because I know, I know for me how it works, but what is it for you around when you started those events around fulfilling your own need and finding, finding your community within that? Yeah, it, it's one of these... Finding your community and and kind of building community is one of these things that tends to happen by accident to, to most people. Um, I don't think it's something that someone, you know, says, I want to grow. When I grow up, I want to build communities. <laughs> it kind of comes a lot of it out of necessity. So, you know, all of us are inherently, we need community around us. We need people that think like us, people that can question us, people that kind of understand our shorthand in the world without us having to explain what we do or explain, you know, the acronyms that, that exist in our workplaces or in our lives. Um, and when I came out in 2000, around about the year 2000, um, I had no idea that I was kind of coming out into a um, predominantly gay and lesbian community at the time that had this super strong community around it. So I remember going to the very first Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras and just like looking around and seeing kind of 10,000 people around me. And it made me feel less alone as a, you know, as a, as a young kid kind of growing up, I realised that other people like me. Um, yeah. And then the more you get into a community like that, the more you realise what is, which parts you fit into and which parts you don't. And I kind of realised that I loved all of this, particularly electronic music and kind of going out, but there wasn't the really cool cutting edge venues or the cutting edge music. So I just decided to start a little event. I called it Fag Tag at the time, which was this kind of <laughs> hilarious name where I got together a bunch of my friends, um, a bunch of fags, and we thought that we would tag a venue and kind of take it over. Yeah. Um, and I sent it to a bunch of friends. I said, hey, who's interested in this thing? On Saturday night, we're going to go Fag Tag this venue here in the city. And within a week or two, a thousand people had signed up to, you know, this is like <laughs> early days of the internet. A thousand people had signed up and said, yes, I'll turn up where you want me to turn up. And yeah. then within a few months, that turned into a little business because I, I would tell people where we were going to go and a few thousand people would turn up en masse wow. to these venues. Wow. Um, so it became a, a, a business um, because then I would go to a venue and say, hey, do you want 2,000 people to turn up to your venue on Sunday? Yeah. Um, and um, other people, would, the venues would say yes. And I said, of course, if you want to do that, you need to give me 10% of your bar takings while it's there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, happy days. You just turned the 80s, you know, warehouse rave into a business model that was in, inside a venue. <laughs> totally. And this is in my 20s when I, you know, can you imagine like a more exciting thing for someone in their 20s to say, hey, don't do any work, just tell people where to go and you kind of get money for doing nothing yeah. by going out and drinking and, and having fun. Oh, God, it was fun. The party, the party animal and away you go. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of my early 20s. But I love like, because, you know, we 
with uh, with some of the work that I do with Live In Mental Health Charity um, around reducing stigma, talking talking about you know challenges that we might face. We talk at 17X around, yeah, finding a community, find people that believe the same things that you believe so you can collaborate together. Um, I just find it really uh, encouraging to hear your success story around you came out, you didn't feel isolated because you've all of a sudden you found this huge community and you weren't isolated, but then you were able to turn that into an accidental business model that created change, no doubt, for the other thousands of people that were coming along. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, this purpose kind of crossover kind of accidentally showed up. <laughs> yeah, and I kind of think that the best purposes, they do, you know, without trying to sound too cliched or too wanky, but they do kind of come from within. So yeah. you, if you identify and can tap into what your personal purpose is, like something that you want a need that you want fulfilled, yeah, if you're lucky, someone else is also going to find that need fulfilled. And if you're really lucky a lot of people are going to find those needs fulfilled. And that is the start of a great community. Um, and that, like that, that's the reason why I love that is because it's so simple. Like anyone can do it. Anyone can look at their life and figure out, oh, I wish this thing here existed. And it can be something that only 10 other people want to exist, but you can still make that sustainable if, if there's 10 of you that want to make something exist. So that's actually a nice, neat little segue into your book. So tell us, uh, tell us what Cult Status is all about. Yeah, so Cult Status came out of research. Um, and the research was that when I was running Junkie Media, so we were a, a, a publisher for Australian millennials, but we were, I started it when I was, um, well, as I said, same, same, which is the game has been titled, originally started when I was 23 or 24. So we were young people at the time when we started that. I'm now 41 and officially the world's oldest living millennial. Um, and we made it our mission to understand that generation, our generation, more than anyone else. And to do that, we used to do a lot of research and we commissioned an independent research company called Pollinate Research to just kind of try to understand people. Um, and it was out of that research that came the genesis for cult status because we would ask lots of questions to that audience. And, and some of the questions we asked were around, you know, businesses and um, where you see change coming from and uh, questions like that. And one of the questions in particular was the role that this was young people, but you don't say young, it's like anyone under 40, um, the role that people wanted brands to have in their life and the responsibility that they wanted brands and the expectation they had of brands. And I could see this changing in real time. So I could see this change come through where people were saying, well, the business that I want to buy from, I'm going to vote with my wallet and I'm going to only buy from businesses that I think their values align with mine. And I watched this change and I kind of thought it was pretty extraordinary. So then I started traveling around the world pre-COVID um, speaking to business owners who were kind of starting to um, create businesses like this. I went over to San Francisco and I went to Silicon Valley and I spoke to people like Tim Brown, who co-founded Allbirds, um, a great example of a business um, yep. doing good through their entire supply chain. Um, I travelled all around Australia. I spoke to people like Zoe Foster-Blake, who started GoTo Skincare, which is about kind of you know demystifying what skincare is. Um, down to Melbourne, chatting to people like Daniel Flynn, who's co-founded um, Thank You Water, not Thank You Water at the time, and then the Thank You Group. 
And the more I looked around, the more I realized there was this whole new generation of people coming through who were thinking about business in a different way. So me being me, I wanted to try and figure out if there was a way that other people could learn how to do that. Because my personal purpose is how I can help others amplify their own impact and what they want to do. So I spent a couple of years doing research, speaking to people, interviewing them and writing this book. And in the end came up with seven steps on how to build a business or start a project that has cult status. Now, my definition of cult status is a business or project that has a really strong community around it who identifies strongly with that purpose. So if you identify strongly with what something stands for, what a business or a project stands for, you're going to give it cult status. You're going to elevate that above any other businesses that might exist in that space. Um, and so then I, I kind of yeah, kind of codified it into seven steps on how to, how to build a business that has cult status. Yeah, sure. Would um, Who Gives a Crap be a perfect example of a cult status brand right now? Probably the best example in Australia. Yeah. yeah right. And so Simon, um, I, I chatted to him for the book because um, I'd known Simon for about 10 years, kind of pre-even Who Gives a Crap stage when he started a social enterprise in Melbourne called Sheba which was a bar in Melbourne that gave, uh, you know, if, you, if you, your drink was from Ethiopia, you would give money to Ethiopia at the time. Nice. Um, the biggest problem that Simon and the crew that started that found was that running a bar doesn't make much money. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't give back much money. And there was, a, there was a bit of a mini controversy when it kind of came out that they hadn't donated much or, or any tiny bit of money. Because their business model, their costs were just so high. Yeah. So their intention was there, but the model wasn't quite right. Um, and and so, you're encouraging people to sit there and sink more and more piss so they could give away more money. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's slightly problematic in its, in its own kind of way. Um, however, the intention was there. And, and Simon and the crew learned so much from that business that then helped them launch Who Gives a Crap, which yeah. I always kind of, you know, that's now a um, an amazing success story. But God, there was like seven or eight years there where Simon was literally pushing shit uphill, yeah, um, sure. where people didn't know what he was talking about. Investors wouldn't give him money because he was just going to give away 50% of their, of their profits. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's amazing that he has, as him and his co-founders have basically created and shown, created a pathway and shown how it can be done um, for a quasi-social enterprise quasi for-profit company yeah so that yeah they were kind of a few years ahead of their time right and uh, they were kind of created so far ahead of the time and actually it's an interesting it's an interesting point because in the book i kind of talk about that scale from companies that give it all away give away all their profits so thank you group is an example of that yeah yep. um to ones in the middle like who gives a crap who give away 50 percent of their profits to ones at the other end, like GoTo is a good example of that, who are an ethical company but make lots of money. Um, yeah. And even Airbnb, I suppose, is probably another example of that, or Allbirds, another example of that. Like, you know, good companies, Airbnb, we'll, we'll leave that one aside. Um, they're, a, they're a good company, what they're trying to do. There's obviously lots of issues there, but we can have an entire podcast talking about that. Um, however, that scale is a really yeah. fascinating one because... Even, you know, Daniel Flynn from Thank You Group, he admits how hard it is to run a business where you give away all of your profits. Yeah. That is so hard and 
he, him and his wife and um, the other co-founders have had to give it their all over and over and over again and really dig deep to maintain that passion that they had when they were in their 20s and they said, we're going to work really freaking hard to start a company and not make anything from it. Yeah, wild, huh? <laughs> oh, wild. I think they, they, they actually came out this week and said that they had this year donated because they've gone, you know, bonkers during COVID, $10 million to charity this year. And I think the year before they donated something like 600000 So that shows you they made $10 million in profit. That is what him and the co-founders have given up by choosing that model. Um, And that's an extraordinary thing to do. You touch on an interesting point there about, you know, at one end of the scale, you've got the thank you brands that are giving everything away. You know, in the middle there, you've got uh, the crew that are giving away half, you know, and, and that's where... I, I try to shy away from the labels or definitions of what you have to do or give away or create to be called a social enterprise or a change-making profit-for-purpose business or whatever. Um, and then on the other, on the bottom end, you've got those crew that are ethical, but they're still they're not actually giving away a lot of their coin. They're ethical in other ways. Um, can we create cult status in any three of those, or do we have to, you know? Does the consumer need to see us give it all away or can we kind of find our spot in amongst that scale? I think the wonderful thing is that you can create cult status in all of them. It doesn't need to be. Cult status is not about the business model. It's not about how much money stays in the company, goes out of the company, you know, how pure someone is in terms of social enterprise and the pure ones look down on the ones who are less pure than them. (laughs) That's not it. It's actually about how you think as a company about the entire holistic ecosystem. And you can be a completely for-profit company and make billions of dollars and still treat your supply chain, your customers really bloody well. And in fact, that's that's the aim is that it should be such a broad church that, you know, I'm not here to tell anybody that you should spend 50, you know, you should give away 50% of your profits. You should give away 5% of your profits. You should give away 1% of your profits. Whatever you decide to do is completely up to you. I more care about how do you do it when you do that. So so how is your process of creating that money? No, I love it. Um, I'm so glad you say that because, you know, I'm certainly on the same page. It's it's good to hear that from, um, from someone else. So, Looking at this whole purpose thing, right? You know, Simon Sinek came out all those years ago and talked about, hey, we've got to start with why, you know, find find your why and then the rest of it starts to flow. You know, Steve Jobs has talked about it for, for a lot of his time around, you know, our our purpose or our, you know, what we're here to do pushes us through the mud when times get tough. If we're going to give away $10 million, it's our purpose that makes us be okay with doing that. <laughs> um, how... I know, I know, I don't want to give away the secrets in the book because I want people that haven't read Cult Status to go and get it and read it because it's, you know, I don't read a lot of books and I read Cult Status and it was great. So, um, but what is, you know, one or two tidbits that you can maybe give away at the moment around people that are trying to find their purpose? How do they articulate it or go looking for that? Finding your purpose isn't new at all. So Simon Sinek didn't 
create it. Yeah, sure. um, St- Steve Jobs didn't create it. Yeah. Um, cavemen probably, you know, they had a purpose with what, what they did when they left the cave and the purpose was to find food or to come back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So finding a purpose and having a purpose isn't something new. And I, I love that people like Simon Sinek, Simon Sinek, who I adore, have popularised it and made it more accessible to lots of different people. Um, and I'd like to think that what I'm trying to do with Cult Status and with my new book that comes out next year is take that take that legacy and try and translate it into as practical steps as possible. And that comes down to who, who people are. So Simon Sinek is an amazing um, theorist, as in he talks so much about the theory in such a beautiful way and he talks about just cause and I, you know, soak it up as much as anyone else but I find that sometimes I get to the end of those books that talk about the theory and I'm all fired up and I'm ready to flip the page next and I'm like awesome now what do I do like how do I apply this into my life yep show me teach me you know you're like a sponge kind of like willing to do it and what I try to do is be super practical. And I, I, I just, I think it's how I like to learn and not everyone likes to do that, but I like yeah, to sure. yeah. read the theory and then go, okay, step one, if you want to do this, is do this exercise and do this for your business. And then you get out a piece of paper or a whiteboard and you do that. So the seven steps, um, the first step of that, which I think is probably the most important step is before you do anything else, you need to think about your impact first. And the simplest way that I have um, talked about this is that every business has a mission statement or every business should have a mission statement or every project should have a mission statement, kind of says what you do. But I think that we need to go a bit further than that. And I believe that every business needs to have an impact statement. And so an impact statement takes the mission statement and adds the words so that onto the end of it. So you, you you say what you do. And then you say, I do that so that blah, 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 blah. And an impact statement then finishes that sentence and explains what the effect is if you are successful in your mission. Um, And it's my aim on this earth is to popularise impact statements so that every business in the world that has a mission statement also has an impact statement. And I think just by doing that, it will have such a profound effect on how you think about your business. Because when you have an impact statement, you have clarity on what you're doing. You have a lot more fulfillment because you can like know what you're doing and you can, and and you've also got accountability because you've kind of got it written up there and all of your staff, all of your suppliers can kind of look at it and see, ah, okay, this is why we're doing what we're doing. And it really helps when times are shitty as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. Um, all right, let's switch gears a little bit uh, before we run out of time. Um, I'd like to just uh, get your marketing hat on now. Uh, we, you know, we've got cult status. We've got all these, you know, this this purpose, this impact-driven outcomes. Uh, the 17X community is filled with change makers, social enterprises, people that are using their business to create their own success, but then also create impacts in the world. How does that speak into the marketing message and and is is it where's the strength lie with with connecting that to the consumer and 
Yeah, so I kind of came up through the marketing side. So I um, ended up studying journalism and, and business at university with a major in marketing. And then um, I, the reason why I, I think it is so important to this whole picture is because marketing is really just communicating. So marketing shouldn't be dressing something up so that it appears better than it is. Marketing should be communicating what you do clearly and succinctly so that other people who agree with that, align with that vision or understand what you're doing can almost identify you in all of the noise that's out there. Um, And there is so much bloody noise out there. Like think of every single message, every single app, every single piece of entertainment. When you're trying to market something to somebody, you're competing with all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're competing with the latest episode of Succession. You're competing with the New York Times. You're competing with every single piece of media and communication out there to try and get a tiny bit of real estate in someone's brain. Um. And in order to do that, you really just need to kind of, you know, one of the steps in the book is about dropping the bullshit. It's about trying to figure out how can you can communicate your marketing message to somebody in a way that connects with them that is not bullshit, not fluff, not marketing. Kind of, I think marketing almost has a bit of a dirty word sometimes. Cool. Um, so, so, yeah, I think and the way that you do that is by being super clear and upfront at the beginning in your own ability of who you are and what you're doing and what you stand for. And if you're clear with that, you can market that to anyone. I love it. Oh, thanks for that. Um, so uh, my last question for you, you mentioned earlier that you're, you've got a new book coming out. Is there any inside scoop we can share? Is it any particular subjects you're working on or what's, yeah. what's the next stage? I can give you all of the inside scoop. Oh, awesome. Um, Go for it. Yeah, so I'm actually going to print next week on um, uh, uncorrected proofs, which are proof copies of the book, where we, which we kind of send out to people to try and get some of those lovely blurbs that you get on the front covers, where famous people say nice things about your book. Beautiful. Um, So we're printing a bunch of the next week. So I've I've been kind of head down over the last about I've got to be writing this book for about two years, basically since Cult Status came out. About the day after it came out, I was like. Oh, there's this other area that's really uh, important to write about and to talk about. Um, and that's actually about creativity in business. That is what the book is about. So the book is called wow. Killer Thinking, How awesome. to Turn Good Ideas into Brilliant Ones. And nice. the whole point of it is I really firmly believe that our world needs better ideas right now. Like we're in, we're in a lot of shit. <laughs> The climate crisis is getting worse and nothing's happening. Inequality is increasing. Um, sure. Where COVID has kind of upended every single thing. Yep. Um, and I looked around at what I considered some of the best ideas in the world. And some of them are business ideas and some of them are kind of social movements. And it's a, the book's about 50-50, yep. each of them. Um, and I kind of identified that all of them have a bunch of things in common. Um, and conveniently, they spell out the word killer. So the word killer... In when it comes to ideas and creativity, stands for ideas that are kind, impactful, loved, lasting, easy, and repeatable. That's so and good. So, and so the best ideas in the world and the ones that 
um, you know, in a, in a way this ties in with cult status, like the ideas that kind of have cult yep. status yep. are yep. all kind, impactful, loved, lasting, easy and repeatable. So I use the book as a way of trying to once again figure out the steps on how you kind of build ideas that are all of those. So um, uh, one of the things I loved about cult status is at the end of each chapter, you have your little guide and steps on how to, which is you obviously that next page, like I'm all juiced now. How do I bloody do this? Uh, is this second one going to have the same kind of framework? Where it's it sure our, does. And we can yeah. put it into action. Yeah. yeah. So the, the IRL section, it stands for in real life. Um, and that is you read all this theory on great, Tim, you've fired me up now with these has shown me some of the best ideas in the world and things yep. are like really exciting, but how the freak do I do it myself? And so the IRL section, the end of each chapter is the exercises, I think at the moment. Um, and I, I love that. That's the part for me when I kind of like people will tag me in um, photos of them doing that themselves on a Saturday with, you know, down at the, with, with some friends or they will sit there and do it themselves. It's sometimes people do it boat you can do it if you want it's just love practical use what's the point of a book if it's not dog-eared and you know written on and um, kind of just used i want it to be a resource that people kind of return back to rather oh, than something it. right read once put up on the shelf and never think of again yeah but that's yeah. that's a yeah. bit of my definition of noise so it's an asset that we can use and we come back to it no i love it um well listen um it's been great chatting with you. Thank you so much for your time, Tim. Um, huge wisdom in your book. Congratulations on the success. I know uh, you just won an award for Cult Status recently. I, yeah, I yeah. Cult Status was named the best entrepreneurship book of 2021 at the Australian yeah. Business Book Awards, which was pretty nice. pretty cool. It was one of That's those so things cool. that you, you don't expect when you write your first book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of my questions for you today was going to be, what's the first book you wrote before Cult Status? <laughs> but uh, that was it. Look at that. That was it. Straight that was the that. best book. Yeah, well, I know. You've got, you've got big fish to fill for your second one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The killer thinking coming your way in May 2022. And um, hope if it's if it's three quarters as good as Cult Status, I'll be happy. Yeah, happy days. Well, listen, yeah. uh, thanks again for your time. And uh, we look forward to sharing the 17X message with you in, in uh, 22 and showing you how I put some of that Cult Status stuff into action. Awesome. Thanks, Mick. Well, that's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening so that you can stay up to date with our future episodes. And now it's time to jump over to our website, 17sdg.com, that's 17 the word, to see when we are coming to your city with our 17X speaking event that's touring Australia in 2022. We're coming back to the stage in every major city in this country to put social innovators, change makers and leaders on stage to share with us in their keynote how they're using their business, their brands, their products and their people as a force for good in the world for the 2030 agenda. We can't do this stuff alone. We need you in the room. I really hope to see you there. But for now, go out and create some impact and enjoy great things. <laughs>